Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. We're going to spend a moment of silence and solitude to prepare our hearts for the Holy Spirit to speak to us wherever we might be, far, close, or somewhere in between our faith journey. And that stillness, that focus, helps us hear our own heart and the heart of God. So let's exhale. <sighs> yeah, let it out. All the toxicities, all the automatic, ruminating thoughts and feelings that are weighing on you this season. Bring it to the feet of the Lord and the house of God. And let's inhale. The promise of the transcending presence of God, His living presence. That when we supplicate our anxieties on Him, He'll give us a transcending peace. Sarah Young, April 30th, Jesus Calling. When some basic need is lacking, time, energy, money, consider yourself blessed. Your very lack is an opportunity to latch onto me in unashamed dependence. When you begin a day with inadequate resources, you must concentrate your efforts on the present moment. This is where you are meant to live in the present. It is the place where I was always wait for you. Awareness of your inadequacy is a rich blessing training for you to rely wholeheartedly on me. The truth is that self-sufficiency is a myth perpetuated by pride and temporary success. Health and wealth can disappear instantly as life itself can. Rejoice in your insufficiency, knowing that my power is made perfect in weakness. All God's people pray, amen. Let's put this picture up, the first slide. And as a disclaimer, if you don't follow sports and especially the NBA, I promise you, follow along. There's a pertinent theme that you'll be able to relate to. But anyways, it is the NBA playoffs. And I'm, as you know, if you didn't know, I'm a huge fan. I just came back from Sacramento for game two of the Kings and Warriors series. I'm a huge basketball fanatic. And so I get caught up like many in our church and around the world 
with the drama of the NBA playoffs. And particularly this week, there was a lot of commentary the media was talking about, about the shenanigans that was taking place with the Memphis Grizzlies who were eliminated um, with the Los Angeles Lakers because a younger player by name Dylan Brooks started talking trash about Queen, Queen, I mean King James. Um, and saying that, you know, blasting him in his locker room, saying, oh, he's old, I don't care. Unless you drop 40, I don't respect you. I mean, which those words came to haunt him when this weekend Memphis lost by 40 to the Lakers. And uh, him and his superstar friend, John Morant, uh, skipped media availability and said, no, I'm out. And, and, you know, the media, sports analysts began to, you know, call Dylan Brooks and Jean cowards. Tell someone next to you, coward. Punks. Tell someone, you're a punk. It's a punk thing to do to the media. The NBA, after all, runs on the revenue of ESPN and Disney and TNT. Media commentaries would perpetuate the revenue for the NBA. It's a punk thing to do. And I thought about it for a moment. I wanted to join the chorus, join you know, the crowd to crucify these players. But then, honestly, to tell you, you would hope that superstar athletes and millionaires <laughs> that are paid to play a game would be more courageous in the face of defeat. But I could sympathize. And you probably could too. This proclivity to hide in failure when you fall on your face or when you're struggling internally is not neurotic. It's not even surprising, is it? It's just human. Yeah, they were selective in their availability to the media to the world, even to themselves. But to some degree, aren't we all? We wish we weren't so defined by wins and losses. But if we're honest, it kind of does. Tell someone next to you, it kind of does. You're like, yeah. You know, first I thought when I was growing up, I thought this was an Asian thing. Perfectionism. My parents taught me perfectionism. If you're perfect, no one can say anything about you, except that they gave me an unrealistic goal. <laughs> Terrible parenting to some degree. Then I realized, as I, through the years, that perfectionism is just chronic insecurity in disguise. It's human to be insecure. Why? Because there's no one that can be perfect. Tell someone next to you, you're imperfect. And that's okay. Hold their hand. That's okay. There's a, a biblical precedent to this. Before the dawn of creation, Adam and Eve hid in the garden when they failed. They hid behind the trees of the garden from the Lord. It almost feels inherent, hereditary. 
If St. Augustine talks about theologically the idea of original sin, then in the very DNA, the very essence of humanity is a propensity to hide in a brokenness. So we see in the dawn of creation, humanity hiding in the sand from almighty omniscient God, which is an oxymoron. There is a scientific precedent. In psychology, this form of coping, hiding, is a defense mechanism to shield one's self-worth from rejection by evading others. It's called emotional isolation. Emotional isolation is different than social isolation. Emotional isolation is isolating the parts of yourself that you refuse to accept when you fail, when you're broken, in the face of uncertainty and insecurity. This is why to actually cultivate an authentic community where lives are truly shared and celebrated. I'm talking about true exchange, the valleys and the hills, people seeing your life in totality, not selectively. It's so arduous to cultivate because at the very center, it's inherent in us. When we face brokenness, when we feel broken, we hide. It's part of original sin. The enemy's greatest theft of us losing paradise is not the environment. It's what the environment was supposed to produce, intimacy. We were robbed of intimacy because we were taught to hide when we fail, when we're broken. So we're facing an immunity, an inherent immunity against intimacy. In short, we're allergic to intimacy. Tell someone next to you, you're allergic. It's like a peanut allergy. We're allergic to accountability inherently. So, good news and bad news. I'm going to give you the good news. The good news is, if you feel uncomfortable about being honest and deception is your default, you're just human, not evil. You're like, oh, Thank God that I was abnormal. No, if you were, if you were com really comfortable about being honest about your failures, there's something wrong with you. That's actually alien, not human. And the point of the gospel is to redeem this hiding and bring us into community, authentic community. <clears throat> this is what Henry Nouwen says. <clears throat> In Spiritual Direction, we're going to have this book, and uh, Paul will be doing a series on the discipline of the church, uh, discipline of the heart, uh, discipline of the book in the next few weeks. And I think that the book would be good, and also Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over Darkness. But this is what Henry Nouwen says in Spiritual Direction. He says, I've been fascinated, I know it's hard to read, just follow along, uh, by the sequence of prayer at night, community in the morning, ministry in the afternoon, describing Jesus' ministry. Notice the order, now one says. From solitude 
to community, to ministry. The night is for solitude, the morning for community, the afternoon for ministry. Night, morning, and afternoon are symbols for the movement that Jesus lived out. These are three disciplines we are called to practice on the long journey home. So if we have an inherent proclivity to hide our brokenness, and we have an inherent immunity toward accountability and intimacy, which means anytime things get real, things get hard, things are uncertain, the humanity's tendency inherently is to run, to evade. We talked about the idea of emotional isolation, talked about the biblical idea of hiding. This is why we need disciplines. Tell someone next to you, a discipline. You know, you're like, ah, see, that's my book title. Ah, a holy, that's why, that's why you need discipline. If I can make a case scientifically and biblically for why we need discipline, if you are having immunity to resist true community, because it's hard. That's why, like no one says in spiritual directions, or Richard Foster says in disciplines, spiritual disciplines, why we have to form habits to mitigate and combat the systems that are hardwired, which we call the land defaults, right? Habits to evade, defense mechanisms to hide. And that's the natural order of things. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable with intimacy. We're allergic. That's the curse from the Garden of Eden. That's the sin that our parents gave us, first parents gave us. In order to be free, it's not going to be easy. No one's going to be smiling. Hey, here's my sins. Let me share share with you my sins. Let me share with you how insecure I feel today. No one does this in Facebook or Instagram. No one tells you, yeah, I feel really bad about myself today. Can you pray for me? No. Even I don't do that. I only post on my IG when my book is number one, least top ten. When it dips like a couple hundred thousand, I'm like, ah, no, 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 no. I didn't even see that number. That was wrong. Denial. (laughs) And so this authentic community where lives are shared and celebrated is the vision of the biblical gospel and Nauman's vision of spiritual direction. So I want to just be frank, no coercion. I'm not telling you, trying to manipulate, hey, be honest in small groups. Let's give you a little nudge, give you a little... No, it has to be a value. It has to be your value. It can't be mine. You're going to have to run against the immunity. No, I mean, how many people here love flossing? How many people like brushing your teeth twice a day? I mean, some of you might be doing three times. You're kind of crazy. That's probably neurosis. But, I mean, I mean, come on. You floss 
because of the, pr- the pros outweigh the cons, but no one likes flossing. And there are some of you who are sick that don't brush your teeth at night. I don't know how your spouses live with you. You are gross. You truly are an ogre. You are strict. Seriously, I mean, I don't understand. People who don't brush their teeth in, oh my God, you're gross. You're, you're not even human. You're an animal. You're an animal. But I mean, you, you, you floss because you have to. It's a habit. That's good hygiene. It's critically important as you grow older. Your teeth will rot. You can't enjoy life. You'll be hurting all the time. That's a discipline. It's a habit. Me, you know how I started flossing? I, I stretch while I floss. I stretch. You're like, well, you're so weird. Yeah, but I floss. You might not. Don't judge me. I'm stacking habits. I'm like stretching. Ah, I do it, and it works. And if you have a problem with flossing and you're like too lazy to floss, they say just floss one tooth. <laughs> you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, that's the point. When you floss one tooth, you do the rest. You're like, oh, I started anyway. Let me finish. I'm going to finish. And that's how community is too. It feels uncomfortable. It feels excruciating. The awkward silences, the stupid questions. That's my least favorite, the stupid questions. You know how teachers said there are no stupid questions? They're wrong. (laughs) There are stupid questions. But community has to be a discipline. And and Paul will go more into the discipline of the church, but I want to just give you the macro theological reality how the gospel takes us from isolation into community, and that's just a garden concept. So today, I want to give you the cost of community, authentic community. This is what we're going to cost us. I'm not going to like lie to you. The cost is high. (laughs) The cost is very high. And sometimes it sucks, because hiding is easier than confronting. Enabling is much easier than difficult conversations. And then I want to give you the reward. The cost and the reward. And you decide, right? Because if you don't want to, you're not going to anyway. So let's go to this passage. So here we see the the recurring motif of the power of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, causes a shift in human history where the curse entered through a tree in the garden in the, in the dawn of creation, and the curse is broken through a tree by the death of Jesus Christ on the hill of Calvary. And that power that breaks that, the original sin where the enemy stole the true heart of paradise, which is intimacy with one another and intimacy with God, is now made possible. But how? How is that vision going to be lived out? How is that possible? Well, here we see Peter, and I, and I tell this story all the time, even in my book about how the disciples were portrayed and depicted by their own sermons and how they shared in great vulnerability their brokenness and their failures. How it's intricate to the gospel that we share our brokenness constantly. 
It is for, Paul talks about how it's in our weakness that Christ's power is made perfect. If the gospel is not working, it's because you're boasting in strength and boasting in blessings. You're not boasting in weakness or brokenness. Power comes in the theology of weakness. So here, Peter has given up preaching, given up being a leader because he denied Jesus three times. And here we see the cost of an authentic community. What a safe but not soft community looks like. Because if you're just safe but soft, you perpetuate an enabling culture where abuse and you know, moral injury doesn't happen explicitly, but happens through an unintended consequences. Narcissists hurt others. People who manipulate take advantage of others, and you say nothing because you don't want to rock the boat. Because it might be a difficult conversation. It might be, you know, a hard conversation. Here we see that Jesus enters through the boundary of personal space into the inner space of Peter's life, his inner life. Because he did deny Jesus publicly three times. He failed, like many of us do, in everyday life. And we fail the people we love most. We fail the people we say we're going to love the most. But Jesus enters the inner space. That's the most difficult part. But what is the cost? Well, when they finished eating, this is, right, this is about a few weeks into the resurrection, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so you see how Jesus is gracious? He let him finish eating. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I don't let my wife finish it. We're going to talk about this right now. Actually, that's what my wife says to me. Put that down. <laughs> let me just finish my food. No, put it down. We need to talk. I hate that. We need to talk. I hate that phrase. It's always bad. But Jesus is gracious and kind and humble and when they finished eating, they were eating fish, right, that they caught. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus took Peter away from the others and had a private conversation, even though Peter denied Jesus publicly to the whole Roman Empire. See how kind Jesus is? Jesus doesn't want to shame us or, you know, he doesn't revel in our pain or failure. No, he's humble and kind. He deals with us gently. Anytime you see any, any person that represents God in a dominant manner, in a meaning, demeaning manner, that's not the heart of the Father. That's never who God is. And Peter says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. So Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus is reinstating Peter three times. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You see that? He uses Peter's full name. Like when your children don't listen to you, you have to say Nathan, Jordan, Kim, or Joshua, Martin, Kim. Right? Because he's fully restoring the full person. He answered, yes, Lord, I know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Reinstated him to preach to lead again. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was what? Everybody say this to me, what? Peter was hurt. In a therapeutic, psychologically bent culture, we think that this is not godly. You hurt me. 
Oh, yeah? I am going to hurt you. Sometimes people are so coddled in an enabling culture at a church. I mean, we've seen this with many empires, church empires falling in the last five years. Hillsongs, Mars Hill, many others with egocentric leaders that created a culture of enabling and narcissism and gaslighting. Folks, we need to have conversations that will hurt. But why? (laughs) Because the point is not to coast. Discipleship is not about coasting. Tell someone you, not coasting. Tell someone, not, not coasting. Don't coast, don't coast. What, what, what did you think in the red letters when Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, pick up the cross? He was not talking about at a shop on vacation. He's not talking about the Jesus pieces. He's not talking about the chains, the diamonds, the gold. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the symbolic picking up of things that are uncomfortable, journeys that are difficult, conversations that are difficult, sins that are hard to confess. Jesus hurt Peter on purpose. The cost is high. Because if you want to have a safe but not soft, first lesson we learn is what? Read it with me. What's the cost? How many people like discomfort? Raise your hand. Come on, you like discomfort? How many people like, <laughs> Joe, only in the gym you like discomfort. <laughs> we, got in, we got you to Columbia, then you told us, I'm not going. <laughs> but that's another conversation for another day. I mean, no, you don't, we don't like discomfort. And you know what? Let me just tell you, some people think I'm sadistic. You like discomfort. You like making me uncomfortable. I ask people, let's go to lunch. Did I do something wrong? No, I just want to have lunch because I'm hungry. No, there's, I did something. There's, gonna be, there's a conversation coming here. No. If I wanted to have a difficult conversation, it would be like chopping your head off really quick. I would just do it. That's the worst thing, right? I mean, I don't like discomfort either. I like first class instead of coach. I don't like the middle seat. I get the aisle seat. This one dude recently, I was coming back from Sacramento. He was sitting in the middle seat in the economy plus rows, and he looked at me and said, bro, let's switch. (laughs) I was in the aisle. He's in the middle with two big dudes. I said, I was livid. I said, are you crazy? He goes, he goes, come on, let's switch. This is a good seat. <laughs> this guy's nuts. And then his wife comes, sits in the middle seat next to me. I'm like, why don't you just begin with that? I don't like discomfort, and I don't like these conversations. I knew I was in trouble when I was a youth pastor. And I confronted another youth pastor who dated someone from my church. And then, after he broke up with this person, got engaged in one month to someone else. And I went to him and I said, dude, what the heck? I st- are you freaking kidding me? He goes, what, bro? 
I was dating this girl for eight months. I said, no, you didn't travel back in time. You don't have a time machine. This girl is heartbroken, crying all the time. And here, next thing, a month after this breakup, and they were dating for a year, and he's a youth pastor too. He's getting married to a megachurch, uh, daughter, daughter, whatever. And I said to him, are you saying you were dating someone else while you were dating her? Nah, bro, I think your memory is, he was gaslighting me. I think your memory is, uh, that, that happened like two years ago. I was dating this girl for eight months. Right there, I realized the future. You think pastors are exempt from blindness, from manipulation, from ambition? From cheating? They're not. I saw Carl Lentz and Hillsongs happen 25 years ago before it happened. I saw Peter happen right here in this passage over and over again. I had conversations at our church with people about money, power, sex. And sometimes, sometimes it went well. Sometimes they walked away. So if you think pastors want to talk to you about your problems, they don't. We rather pay counselors to do it. We're going to hire one just to talk to you about your sins. Because that's the hard work of a safe but not soft community, right? Discomfort. Cost is discomfort. Who wants to squirm in their seats? No one wants that. But you know what? Look, next slide is Jesus. And this is funny cartoon about Jesus, but give away my wealth, then follow you? Haha, <laughs> very funny. Now, seriously, what should I do? Now, this is the response Jesus got. Even Jesus didn't have 100% efficacy in discipleship. Actually, Jesus had a mega church, and then he lost everyone. His church plant closed when he died and reopened in the resurrection. So the cost is high. The cross, the, the journey to the cross, which is sanctification and holiness, is a journey that many won't go on because inherently we're hardwired from Eden to evade, to hide, to lie, to deceive, to protect our self-worth. Because it's so determined and so hardwired into our performance. So the question I have for you today is, are you willing to pay the cost for real community? And you know what the answer is? Yes and no. This is not a black and white issue. It's a capacity issue. It's about growing that capacity. That's what discipleship is. Our journey toward home, sanctification, is a expanding capacity for intimacy. Right? Like, you know, when you're a brute beast, you order steak well done. I don't respect anyone that orders steak well done. I don't even think you're a homo sapien. You're, you should just go back to the zoo. Because who does that? But the finer things in life, the more substantial things, the weightier things 
are learned. The better things must be introduced. Like Josh, he didn't like sushi. Now we got to order more sushi because he eats all the salmon. I'm like, bro, can you save us some for us? Dad, this is so good. This is so good. Stop it. Stop eating all the salmon sushis. Guess what? He's growing his capacity. His palate is growing. So that's the question you have to answer is, it's not a black and white issue. It's, yes, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, and this is good for me, and I need to floss. So you need to spiritually floss. Or you'd be disgusting. You'd be an animal. But all joking aside, that's the question. So we have this vision. Do you want to pay the cost? That's the cost. So I'll leave it up to you. What's the reward? Let's move down. So that's the cost. And here's the reward. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 18, here is the good news and the bad news. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went to where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, the very words Jesus said to him the first time in that, follow me to culminate the reinstatement. Moving from disqualification to calling. The reward is destiny, capacity, potential. It's about becoming the best. It's about flourishing. It's about becoming the best of who you were meant to be as he planted you in your environment. The reward is destiny. Tell someone next to you, destiny. Your destiny. My destiny. So is the cost worth destiny? Is discomfort worth destiny? I don't know. Sometimes I think no. Here's a quote from Audre Lorde that was quoted in Harry Potter as well. Sometimes we are blessed with being able to choose the time and the arena and the manner of our revolution. But more usually, we must battle where we are standing. Only actors like Chris Pratt could go from park recreation to Guardians of the Galaxy where he had the eight pack. I saw that movie the first time, I go, wow, that's possible. Dad bod to hottie. I felt motivated for five seconds until I realized I'm already hot. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not what you do with your fat, it's how you wear it. But I remember uh, in my own life where I saw this happen, Audrey Lorde, where you know, sometimes like an actor, you're blessed to be your best, to go to the Oscars and work out for eight months, transform your body, you know, like Thor Hemsworth. He's not even human. He's like, you know, an angel or something. But, but like, but, um, 
But if we're serious, real life is not a movie. It's the humdrum, painful. We don't determine the hills and the valleys. They happen all at once. They're gratuitous and sinuous, and they happen without warning. I remember um, when I was in Singapore a few years ago, well, almost a decade ago, put this picture up, um, in this grand banquet. And my mentor told us to come, and we went there. My father and mother recently passed away, my dad. And I was at a very, very depressive state, grieving the loss of the, of the greatest supporters of my life, greatest prayer support, greatest financial support, the greatest any support. And, you know, I would prefer not to be at this banquet just attending this heads of state in Asia, prime ministers, six billionaires. Do you know the crazy rich Asians? That's just what it was. My mentor didn't tell me that I would be speaking either. Last minute. Oh, by the way, you're speaking today. Right when I got to the banquet. I go, What? I was 50 pounds, not 50, well, yeah, from college, but 15 pounds overweight, overeating, stress eating. This is not no IV background, just me. 180 was struggling. People were dying. People were leaving. There was drama everywhere. This is not, I, I would like to go back in time and be like, let me go now. Best-selling author, Harvard on the resume. I would go like this in Singaporean, you know? But my mentor pushed me at the worst moment in my life to address billionaires, heads of state, prime ministers, the crazy rich Asians in Asia, where I was. And I wasn't ready. I'm like, God, I don't even understand why you would do that. And so we have this illusion that our destiny is when we put on the tux, lose 50 pounds. Well, for me anyway. For you, it might be 15. And when you have everything, all your ducks in a row, and then, but destiny doesn't work that way. In the biblical vision of the gospel, in your greatest failure, in your greatest place of brokenness, in your greatest pain, is where God takes you. And His grace fills you when your cup runs dry and He puts you up on the stage so you could rely on Him and His power, boast of His greatness, not your own. So some of you might be saying, well, you know, let me just get my ducks in a row. Let me get my degrees and let me get my accomplishments. And but what if the very place of God's greatest power, God's greatest blessing, God's greatest calling it's the place we fear most. It's the place we're evading. It's the place we're escaping. 
That's where God's presence wants to meet you. Destiny. The reward is destiny. God's destiny for our lives. Peter died upside down. That's not something he wanted. He wasn't prepared for. But he glorified God by doing so. And it wasn't the Roman Empire that decided to crucify him. He said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. I must die different. The blood of the saints and the martyr of the saints is what was the, the soil, the seeds that flourished church history. I wonder if we're missing our destiny because our focus and our attention is on wrong spaces and wrong places. Are we missing it? Because we're evading the Lord and we're evading others. That's the question. Stand with me and let's pray together. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord today? As we practice the spiritual habit of surrender, as we practice being present, even if we don't like the present because the present sucks. Well, how would you know what's good, what's awesome if it doesn't suck sometimes? Let's praise the Lord for the suckness and the stuckness and the shenanigans of our lives. After all, for the soil to be fertile, to be fertilized, manure is used to flourish what is being planted. And today we see from Peter's life that God does not waste even our failures in our destiny. He uses it to form us, transform us, and launch us. So if you're complacent today, if you're coasting, are you willing to pay the cost? To enter from solitude to community to ministry. The Eucharist, the communion of the saints. God takes the bread. He breaks the bread. He blesses the bread. Breaks the bread. And gives it away. Could our life exemplify the Eucharist? Like Jesus' body that's broken and blessed and broken to be given away to the world, to bless the world. Let's make this our prayer, just the time. Just the time I think that I'm at peace with the world that's mine. I feel at ease. I feel at home.
shakes me till again I know that what I have is not enough and again I've got to grow So, Father, we come before you this afternoon and see the pattern of the gospel. You take what breaks us to launch us. You don't call the qualified. You qualified the call. The Bible says that the seed in us, the imperishable seed of God, will accomplish what it's set out to do. All we have to do is let go and let God be God. The cost, it's a bit of discomfort. It's equivalent to flossing, going to the dentist, getting a vaccine. They're annoying, and it's tense sometimes, but is it worth flourishing? Absolutely. So perhaps it's not that we have to acquire more. Perhaps all we need for our destiny 
is already in us. The seed of God. And we have to focus on what He is doing in the present moment. And let go. And let God do His thing. Lord, we surrender to this today. We surrender to your call in our lives. Qualify us. In the places we're disqualified, heal the broken places and launch us into our greatest selves for the sake of the world. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.